0: this is something that my brother-in-law Matt and I who preaches here we've been working on a book on this topic and uh, we're going to give you the first two chapters of the of the book next week I think maybe the week after uh, and so you can read those and and follow along but it is something that I think is important enough that I've spent hours upon hours uh, on this topic and the topic is spiritual food and by that uh, mainly we're going to focus on on the Bible is spiritual food. But today, we're going to look at something uh, different. We're gonna look at, really, uh, God, Jesus, as, as the foundational food for our spiritual lives. And the reason that I think this this topic is so important is because there's this incredible spiritual hunger in our society. It seems like the, the more people try to reject spiritual things, the more spiritually hungry people become. And I found this really interesting. This is like a weird... But fifty percent of atheists claim to believe in an afterlife. That's just weird. I don't know why that happens or how that works. But 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 it shows, I think, just a little bit that even you know the, the people, the small percentage of people who just reject the idea of God altogether, they still have some some desire for there to be something spiritual there was this article that I came across called the American paradox spiritual hunger in the age of plenty and it was in psychology today and, and this is a, a quote from it as Americans have grown richer they have become less content with their lives it fills our bellies but leaves us spiritually hungry I mean we have like everything we want right like the the things we get for Christmas now are are, are crazy right like we can Pretty much do anything that we can think of. And yet, our nation, this is what the researchers tell us, is filled with people who are more and more hungry for something that benefits them spiritually. Uh, 27 percent of people now refer to themselves as spiritual but not religious this is a group that sociologists have identified that's up eight percent in in five years and then I came across another article that says is Hollywood's faith fascination evidence of America's spiritual hunger have you noticed how spiritually driven the things that we watch on television and the movies have become it it seems like uh, the further our nation gets from God the more Hollywood tries to insert spiritual things into their movies. And, and this author of that article was just theorizing that perhaps, and I think I would agree with him, that it's because people are so hungry for spiritual things now that, that Hollywood is, this is scary, but Hollywood is filling the void, the spiritual hunger that people have. They're trying to fill it. And so we, we might look around and, and go, Man, our nation is is in a lot of ways rejecting Christianity more and more. It seems like people care less and less about the the things of the Bible and and the, and the things of of God, especially for those of us who are Christians meaning our God that we serve Yahweh. And it might it might be that we would think, well that means people are becoming less and less spiritual. But that is not the case at all. I um I went to school at a school called Uh, it's changed names now, but I'll give you the long embarrassing name, Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. It's so long that even when you shorten it to GGBTS, you're still like, I'm kind of in the middle of it and I wanna be out of it. And the main campus was in uh, San Francisco, just across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco in Marin County. Maybe you've heard of Marin County. And Marin County is uh, this incredibly spiritual place with almost no Christianity at all. It, it is full of every type of spirituality and maybe like one little church in this county that's, that's fighting to stay alive. It is also, interestingly, the place with the most uh, anonymous groups, like alcoholics, alcoholics Anonymous Groups, things like that, per capita in the United States of America. And, and for me, Marin County, where I did some of my seminary work... is is indicative of what our country is becoming more and more like. Uh, A spiritual place with less and less Christianity and more and more spiritual hunger. Perhaps that's because of Marin County. It's filled with people that influence the things that we we watch and things that we hear and things that we do. And so we live in this, this weird time. And I don't know if every generation has felt this way. But we live in a time where, where people are rejecting what we've always kind of thought of as spiritual food. Uh, the things of Christianity in our country. And, and they're embracing these other types of spiritual things. But yet they find themselves more spiritually hungry. And, and as a Christian and as a Bible believing person. I tend to think that the answer lies in Christianity, and it lies in this book that God has given us, this book that that describes itself throughout as, as spiritual food, spiritual sustenance, the thing that we need when we are feeling spiritually hungry. And as I said before in this series, we'll look at... at at the topic of the Bible and the role it plays in our spiritual hunger but before we look at that today we need to back up and and look at this other thing that the Bible describes as spiritual food and that's frankly Jesus. Uh, we're going to go all the way back uh, before Jesus was born here on earth to the book of Isaiah and we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 through 5. And this is an interesting section in the book of Isaiah because it's the second part of two chapters that are really celebratory. And it's, it's weird because if you've ever read Isaiah, Isaiah for me is, is, man, this is so, I hate saying this, I hate saying it out loud. But it's one of my least favorite books of the Bible to read. I know it's not a ringing endorsement for what I'm about to say in my sermon. And the reason that, that I struggle with it is because for like, you know, 50 chapters, it's pretty much like everybody's getting punished over and over. And you don't even know who these people are. It's like, if I was reading you a list of names of kids that are going to get spanked today, you'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, what does that have to do with me? Somebody get to the point. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know who these people are. That's how I feel the whole time I'm reading Isaiah. It's beautiful if you sit down and you study it, but if you're just reading, like, I have no clue what's happening. Like, what? Wh- who are these people and why is God angry at them? But when we... Get to verse, or chapter 54 and then chapter 55. The tone completely changes. As one author says, it's like something has happened that has completely changed the picture. And the question becomes, like, what changed? And what changed is that Isaiah has announced that the servant, his word, the servant is going to Come. And we know from New Testament authors, the guys that wrote the second half of the Bible, that what, what, who the servant is, is, is none other than Jesus the Messiah. The last four weeks we've talked about what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, who he is as the Messiah. And, and in Isaiah, the, the other thing that he tells us, the thing that New Testament authors really pick up on, is that Jesus as the Messiah is the servant who would suffer for people's sins. Isaiah 53, five and six, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible and one of my least favorite books, but it's one of my favorite two verses in the whole Bible, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in verse 12 of Isaiah 53, he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Redemption is accomplished. Isaiah spent, you know, 50 chapters saying, look, you're gonna be punished, you're gonna be punished, you're gonna be punished. And then he says, hey, by the way, someone's coming who if you're willing will be that punishment for you, will take that punishment for you, and we know that Jesus did that by coming to earth, living perfectly, not doing anything to deserve punishment, and then at the end of that life, he dies this brutal, terrible death where, where, where his father in heaven, God above, turns his back on Jesus, and Jesus, as he's hanging on this cross, is literally paying the price of hell, and Isaiah is like, he, he's done that for all of you who are sinners, all of you who, who deserve punishment, And then in chapter 54, he gives this incredible description of the blessings that people can have if they will just embrace the Savior, going from punishment to to blessing and privilege and gifts and grace and all of this other great stuff. And then in our passage today, he begins chapter 55 by really calling us to partake of, of this gift that the servant has offered us. You see, it's like, here's all this doom and gloom. Here's the suffering servant who pays the punishment for you. Here's what he can give to you. But oh, by the way, you have to embrace it. You have to take hold of it. You have to accept it. Edward Young who wrote a commentary on the book of Isaiah. Said the prophet is an evangelist with the concern for the souls of men. And a realization of their desperate condition without the blessings that the servant has obtained. Verses 1 through 7 are are filled with imperative verbs, which is to say, like he's adding exclamation points at the end of all of his words, like, you need to embrace this, you need to embrace this, you need to embrace this. He's imploring readers to accept this incredible gift that God has offered through the suffering servants. He's like, look, I I know all of the punishment and the, the bad that can come, but there's a way out. There's a way out if you'll embrace it. And so please, 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 that's what he's saying. Please, 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 my words, but that's pretty much what he's doing. Please, please, please embrace, take hold of, accept what God has offered you. And he does it through a food metaphor. And it's so beautiful, and it's not just going to be what you think, it's going to be beyond that, I think, as we look at these words today. They just came alive as I was studying, and here's how it begins in Isaiah 1, 1 excuse me, 55, 1, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost, in the ancient world, when a city or town didn't have water, merchants would show up and they would sell water to the people who needed it. And, you know, you don't have uh, modern, you know, tap water or whatever. And so you're, if you're out there in the middle of nowhere, then you're relying on somebody to show up and they're selling you water. And can, I just, I don't know this. I have no real background on this. But can you imagine the premium price put on water? When people need something, then then the price goes way, way up It's like buying something for a wedding. It's like, wait, that's just a piece of cotton. It's like, but it's a wedding piece of cotton, and you have to have it at your wedding in order to make your day perfect. And it's like, wow, it's four hundred dollars. Like, how? That's crazy to me. You know what I mean? Or things with your kids. It's like, like you, you have to have a car seat, so they can just charge you what they want for car seats. And you're like, well, I have to have one, or I'm going to jail. You know, I'm not pulling a Britney Spears. Did she drive her kid without a car seat? Old, sorry for you, young people. Old analogy, but like, I have to have a car seat price goes way up and so you can imagine the price of water when somebody shows up they can charge you whatever they want because you have to have it to stay alive and the call here is to come and take the water freely the spiritual water the thing that's going to bring spiritual refreshment. Jesus says such similar things. John 4, 13 through 14. He's talking to this woman at the well. Maybe you've heard this story before and they're, they're standing at a well and he's talking to this woman that is is not the same race as him and, and he's not really supposed to talk to her culturally speaking. And and, and she's trying to have this theologically driven conversation about where the temple's going to be. And she's really deflecting away from true spiritual thirst. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Like we have so many people that, that know they're spiritually thirsty and they'll dance around it by having spiritual conversations, by trying to sound smarter, by trying to, to learn more so that they look good. And, and, and yet, yet they don't really want to deal with the thirst that they feel inside. That's her, and Jesus says that he is the living water, and he says everyone who drinks the water will be, uh, talking about the well, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I should mention that in the book of John, eternal life is not just the life that we get when we die. That's how we sometimes use it. Like eternal life just means forever life. In the book of John, eternal life refers to everything that we gain when we enter into a life with God. It's all the joy and the peace and the hope and the goodness and the ability to break free from our sins. All of those things encompass what John means by eternal life. And Jesus says, if you just drink the real water, the spiritual water, if you'll stop having these dialogues, about what temple or what translation of the Bible or whatever, and truly just take me in, then you won't be thirsty anymore. In John seven thirty seven and thirty eight, at the celebration of. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, something we celebrated this fall, Jesus says this, uh, it says this, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. We live, as we prayed this morning in this time, That's just it's just so spiritually thirsty. And people are just, parched they're just longing for something to bring them refreshment and, and Jesus is and has always been the only answer even before he lived <laughs> he was the only answer to this spiritual thirst um, there's three types of of uh, liquid mentioned here beverages I guess you could say in this passage of scripture and, and one author broke them down and I think it might be going too far but I, I I do think it helps us in in understanding all that Jesus brings to our life when we are spiritually thirsty and it says come and, and take this water right and and water just refers to uh this the spiritual refreshment right like sometimes life is hard and it's busy and it's not just that you need a nap but you need like a drink of water for your soul. Do you know what I mean? Like like it's just been too heavy for too long and, and you feel like you're carrying burdens and whether you have a nap or not, it's not gonna matter because something about you is parched. Like you're just thirsty it's like that wake up in the morning and haven't had a drink of water thirsty right and and your soul feels that way like i just need something if i'm if i'm going to keep going at all spiritually i need something and and jesus is that he's that water and and then wine can easily and we can see this in the New Testament, especially, represent the spiritual enjoyment. I mean, it's one thing just to it's one thing just to be you know, satisfied, but it's another to really enjoy, and and I don't exactly know what that looks like, or how to explain it, I should say, like what does spiritual enjoyment really look like, but I sure know what it feels like, and and I know for me that the moments I'm closest to Jesus are the moments that make me want to celebrate the most, and and it's interesting that wine is used, because so many people, I think, they look at Christians, and they, and I, I think I've actually had this said to me before like how can you have a good time if you don't get drunk if like an alcohol is not a part of it's like I just I don't know I love Jesus and when I'm with Christians like we have a good time and 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 it's funny that wine is what's used here in this passage to say look look if you want to be spiritually exhilarated to enjoy the your life, you know, like really what's life, not just have fun on the outside, but on the inside you want to have a fun time, then then it's Jesus that's going to bring that to you, it's not going to come in any other way, and then and then milk is the other one that's used, and, and we'll talk about this metaphor uh, throughout this series, because it's one that the New Testament picks up on, and the New Testament authors, but milk is, is is something that brings nourishment to us. Like every baby needs it, right? They can't live without it. When I was a kid, you know, knowing what we know about sugar now, this wasn't the greatest nutritional advice. But I would not drink milk, and so our doctor told me to eat yogurt, and so I used to eat a lot of yummy yogurt. Anybody remember yummy yogurt, fruit on the bottom? It's hard to find now. Every now and then at a upscale, I was not eating upscale yogurt at the time. I'm sure it was the cheapest yogurt, but now it's like at New Seasons. That's where you get yummy now. Anyway, uh, my upscale childhood that I did. And half, but but you need you need the the nourishment of milk and and frankly, like I, I just you cannot have what you need to have a good spiritual life to be spiritually equipped without coming to Jesus, and that's what I saw in Marin County, right across the Golden Gate Bridge, right. All of these people who are struggling with all of these things and, and trying to drink whatever new spiritual thing comes along, and then and then struggling with addiction, and, and struggling with depression, and all of these things. I, I, I try to say in as many sermons as possible that I met Robin Williams once, have you heard? Uh, if you've been around, you've definitely heard, but I, I met Robin Williams in Marin County, it's where he went to hang out, and, and, uh, and you could see that guy, every interview, if you, especially as you look back after he committed suicide, every interview, he's just deflecting, right? It's like, how's life? He tells a joke how are things with your family? He tells a joke. It's like he couldn't ever embrace anything spiritually and you look back on it and you think, man, that man was empty spiritually. He just fit the society of, of the county in which he hung out, right? He lived just across the bridge from it. And what if, what if, he, just, what if he just would have taken in Jesus? Like maybe he'd still be telling jokes today. psalm sixty three one says "You God are my God, earnestly, I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water, and the psalmist that wrote that lived long before Jesus, but we who can look back at the life of Jesus and say, Jesus, I invite you in, we can have the the spiritual Uh, nourishment or nourishment excuse me to mix my metaphor spiritual nourishment we need the spiritual enjoyment we need and the spiritual refreshment that we need and it's all by coming to Jesus it's all by coming to Jesus and that word is said three times in this passage come to Jesus come to Jesus come to Jesus it doesn't say Jesus obviously but it's come 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 and so many of us stand at a distance from Jesus. Whether we're Christians or not, we stand at a distance. and We say, oh, I wish I was spiritually refreshed. And I wish I could enjoy things spiritually. And I wish I had that spiritual uh, nutrition that I, I so long for. Because I feel empty. I know something's missing. And we leave Jesus out there. Like I'll get around to you as a last resort. Or when I'm not busy anymore. Or when all my work's done and all the to-dos are checked off. And when you're thinking about all the, all the uh, upcoming New Year's resolutions, it's like that's down there. I'd like to read the Bible more, but first I need to exercise and eat better and I don't know, whatever else we're gonna do. And, and, and Jesus is like standing over here going, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Because I'm, I'm where you find spiritual refreshment and nourishment and enjoyment. And this, this next verse, verse 2 it's what we do instead, it's what we do instead, instead of coming to Jesus, we, we follow this pattern, you know, from hundreds of years ago, we follow this pattern, and, and it won't make sense at first, like much of Isaiah, but when you really think about it, it does, why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy, listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. the word the phrase not bread is an incredible phrase. It's, it's actually like a compound word, like not bread, not not bread, but not bread. That, am I communicating that with a hyphen in between, not bread? And it's, as I read that phrase, and, and some author brought that to my attention, it's like this is what we do. We try to fill our, th- our souls with things that are not Bread that are never going to fill our souls. It's like we eat cardboard and expect to be satisfied. And, and he says it here like, why do you labor on what is not satisfied and, and why do you spend your money on what is not bread? And, and I look around and, and all of these people just that I'm surrounded with that are spiritually hungry and they spend their lives on things that will never and don't ever fulfill them. Just think about it. Just consider it for a second. Do people ever seem satisfied by having a lot of money? No, they want more money. They want more of it. That's what people want. They always are longing for more money. It doesn't satisfy them. And they spend their whole lives trying to get more money. They try to, they try to do everything they can for this not bread. And it never brings them any satisfaction. In my generation, we're driven by followers oftentimes and influence. And we think about how many people like our stuff and and they're saying this is so interesting that that social media is actually driving depression levels up because people are so driven by that next like and by that next follower that it that it just kills them when they don't have it. And it's like we're spending all of this mental power and all of our creative efforts on on social media and it's not bread it's not bread because nobody's ever been satisfied by another follower they just want another follower and some people spend their whole lives trying to to have power and when they get it they want more power and when they get it they want more power and some people want to be famous and they, and they strive for fame or they want to be known for the work that they do. And, and when they are famous or they're known for the work they do and people respect the work that they've done, then, then they want more. I, I don't, I honestly, I, I don't know of anything. Anything that people just try to fill their hunger with that actually makes people feel satisfied, except for Jesus. It just doesn't work. Like you will always be spiritually hungry while you're eating not bread. You can eat as much of it as you want, but you're always going to want more. You're going to be malnutritioned, you're going to be hungry. Because it's not bread. The only true bread is Jesus. Listen to John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I love what, what happens in John 6, 68 through 69. Jesus has just given this grand speech about how you must eat his body and drink his blood in order to be his follower. And uh, we believe that he was being metaphorical, that he was uh, talking about embracing him as the savior. And and all these people who hear this speech, these people who call themselves Jesus followers, they walk away from him. They're like, this is a hard teaching. This is weird. I don't know what this guy's talking about. Is he preaching cannibalism? We're out of here. And he's alone with like the 12 disciples that that he hung out with the most, his best friends. And he looks at them and he's like, are you leaving too? And in John 6, 68 and 69, we read, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He's like, there's nothing else that's going to provide any level of satisfaction. Now that we've had this relationship, now that we've hung out with you for these years, now that we know what you're like, there's nothing else that's going to satisfy us. So even if you give us this weird, hard teaching and everybody else walks away from you, we're in it. Because nothing else will bring us the fullness that we are longing for. John 10, 10, Jesus says that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And in our passage today, it says, listen, eat, delight. Listen, eat, delight. I love that. Listen to God. Embrace what God has said, and then find your delight in it. Come to Jesus, listen to Jesus, eat of Jesus, and then delight in Jesus. John Oswald says, the essential ingredients to a person's life are listening to God and coming to him. I want to read the next verse too. And uh, I have on it to go through verse 5. But I don't think I'm going to today. I, just, I think I'm just going to read the next one. It says, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Well, What's at stake is your very life. When it comes to coming to Jesus, to listening to Jesus, to embracing Jesus, to finding your fulfillment in Jesus, what is at stake is your very life. And what verse 3 says is that you, you must renounce your unbelief and rebellion and accept God's provision for life. And this life goes beyond uh, just spiritual satisfaction on earth. It is something that we will get to do for eternity we will be spiritually satisfied for eternity if we will embrace Jesus. And it's all because of, and I love this, this is why I want to read verse 3 and not just stop, uh, because it, it says that it's all coming out of God's faithful love promised to David. And again, if you've been around, you know that I love this Hebrew word hesed. In the Old Testament, and, and I made fun of Hebrew as a language last week, but it's, it's this language very limited in, in vocabulary, very strange but there's this word, hesed, and, and almost it seems everything good that you read about God's relationship to us in the Old Testament is summarized. It's used. It's the word, hesed, faithful. Uh, Loving, kindness, faithfulness, grace, mercy, his goodness towards people. And the word is there to say that God gives us this relationship that is not based on us and what we've done and what we could earn. It's based on his incredible promises to us. He looks down from heaven. He said to his servant, David, I'm gonna set up a line, a kingly line in your lineage and it's gonna be because of me and my love for you, not because of what you have done, and likewise, he looks down at us, and he says, I want to enter into a relationship with you that will bring you the spiritual fullness that you so desperately long for, that will refresh you, and bring enjoyment to you, and nourish you for the rest of your life, and it's not going to be based on anything you can do, it's going to be based on what I'll do for you. And he came down in the person of Jesus and he died for you. And not only did he die for you, he came back to life and he went up into heaven and he sits on his throne. But as he sits on his throne, he sent down to us the Holy Spirit. And he said, if anyone will believe in me, then the Holy Spirit will come into them and I will indwell them. He promises right before he goes back into heaven that he will be with us always, even until the end of the age And it's all because of his love, his love for us. And I don't know of any force more powerful for bringing spiritual fulfillment, fullness, refreshment than love. And in the person of Jesus, we see the most incredible love. And we don't just see it, we're offered it. We find our spiritual refreshment, spiritual enjoyment, and spiritual nourishment in listening to God and coming to Jesus. And so I hope first this morning, if, if you're not a Christian, if you're a person that's on the fence, if you're a person who, who maybe dances around theological topics, you know that you're spiritually hungry or thirsty, and, and, and you've, you've looked at Jesus and he seems fine, I just would hope that you would just at least listen to what he has to say, that you'd open the Bible and consider him. And, and really, I hope that you'll embrace him. Maybe you already believe all of this stuff. You're like, yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. I believe that Bible stuff. But you've never embraced him by giving him your life. I hope that today's the day. Because all you're doing is chasing not bread right now and it's never gonna work. And so maybe some of you in this room, you just, you just need to consider whether or not you should become a Christian, a real life Christian. Because you know you're spiritually hungry and nothing else is satisfying it and and Jesus is standing there saying look I died for you, I rose again I love you I love you just embrace me but there's others of us that that are Christians and and we do find ourselves hungry and thirsty and and I'm going to just make a guess it's because you haven't consistently been coming to Jesus? Uh, I know that th- there's exceptions to what I'm about to say. But the rule seems to be that when people are coming to Jesus consistently, constantly, every morning, they're greatly satisfied no matter what takes place around them. They have joy and hope and peace and they feel loved and forgiven despite what others may say despite how tragedy might strike and I find that and again there's exceptions to this rule because some seasons are just really difficult but I find that most of the time people who are spiritually hungry that are Christians are people who are not coming to Jesus consistently we find spiritual satisfaction by coming to Jesus, and we continue to be spiritually satisfied by abiding in Jesus, by consistently coming to Jesus. And as we go into this new year, and this is why this series is here, and we're going to talk about uh, more of what this means, but I think some of you who sit in this room to me, with me this morning, you're spiritually weak, you're spiritually hungry, you're spiritually malnutritioned. And you're trying to find, you, even, you know Jesus and you love Jesus, but you're trying to find satisfaction in everything that's not Jesus. And he's looking at you and saying, come to me and drink and eat and find your spiritual satisfaction. And so this morning, I hope that you would consider, you who are Christians, you would consider whether or not you have been coming to Jesus, that you've been really coming to him, that you've been really listening to him, that you've really been embracing him and all that he has to offer. And I bet if you're spiritually hungry, the answer is no. Bet it's no. You might spend five minutes reading some little devotional in the morning, uh, but you're not really coming to Jesus. And I'm gonna pray now that those two things happen, that, that you who are not Christians would consider coming to Jesus for the first time, and you who are Christians and find yourself spiritually thirsty and hungry would make the decision to come to Jesus to find your spiritual fulfillment. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for for how you have brought me um, life. And I I don't just mean like I get to live forever, but I mean like true, uh, abundant, full life. Lord, I know that, um, man, I know it as well as anybody, that when I am not coming to you, God, as consistently as I know I ought to be, I'm an empty person, and, and Lord, uh, every ugly part of who Chad is comes out in my treatment of others, and how I stress about things, God, and um, the things I think about, the sins I commit, uh, and, and God, yet you just stand there calling me to come to you. And I pray, God, for me and for all of those in front of me this year, 2019, that, Lord, we would be people who come to you. And and I I believe, God, there's people in front of me, people who will listen online that, that aren't Christians. They've never given you their lives. They're trying to find fulfillment in anything and everything that isn't you and not bread. And I pray they'd give their lives to you, God, this year, maybe this morning. And I pray, God, for for those who are Christians that are just seeking everything else or maybe just other things. Maybe they've made you a small part of their lives instead of making you, making you the center of their lives, God. And I pray that they would return to you and they'd listen to you and they'd embrace you and they'd find satisfaction in you once again. Thank you, God, for all that you offered in Jesus' I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.